Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You can make your way back to your seats, and when you get there, you can be seated. I'll give you my title. I'm not going to read verses right now. I will in a little while, but I preached you tonight on the pursuit. The pursuit. I don't care what our world says. I don't care what laws are passed. God designed human beings. And that design has never changed. God has always been designing men. and God has always been designing women. That's the way God designs them. I realize there are... There are some things in that regard that are, they are stereotypes. There is a difference between stereotypes and the way that God has created us. It's, it's more so a stereotype that, that um, women are talkative and men are quiet. I know men that are not quiet. They're very talkative. I know women that are not very talkative. They're very quiet. I've tried and a lot of times I'm late on it and I've actually missed a year or two. So just to be honest and truthful, but from Elizabeth's first birthday, I've tried to take uh, my kids out to breakfast or lunch on their birthday and um, taking Elizabeth out is sort of like taking myself out. There's usually not a whole lot that's said at the table. So I'm aware that there are stereotypes that they're stereotypes. But there are ways in which God has, there's some things that God hardwired, if you will. And if those things change, it's, from my perspective, it's because of circumstances and events in life that cause some kind of a change in behavior. If Bishop Parent was here, he could talk about DNA, and I forget that fancy word about something that attaches to the DNA or something and causes some kind of a change. One of those, one of those things that God created, the way God created it was, and, and let me just pause for a moment. Can you, can you do all of you great theologians here tonight? And there's a lot of very knowledgeable Bible folks. Will, will you do me a favor and not sit and dissect my message the whole night? I know that Collectively, we're the bride, and individually, we're sons. I know all of that, but would you mind if I just preach what I feel and not have to qualify it all based on based on that? Can 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 we make that agreement? Okay. Um, I believe God wired it in regards to relationships between men and women that the man is to be the pursuer. The woman is to be pursued. 
I believe that God has put within the heart of a man the desire to pursue. And God has put within the heart of a woman the desire to be pursued. Society and various things have altered that and it's become more and more common in our world that females are pursuers. And so the pursuit is not just the way God intended it, but females become a part of the pursuit rather than being pursued. I find several examples throughout Scripture where the Bible tells us about men, some of them patriarchs, that went to take to them a wife. They went to pursue a wife. If you, if I could put it in these terms, um, what Jacob did for ultimately 14 years was the pursuit of a woman, the pursuit of a female. So I find throughout Scripture where men, especially Old Testament examples that God gave us, that men pursued women. The only instances I can come up with, and if you know some others, I'm open to hearing them, but any instances I find in Scripture where it was the woman pursuing, it was in a very negative light. In fact, usually it was with regards to some type of sexual perversion. I find an example of Potiphar's wife pursuing Joseph in an adulterous relationship. Proverbs chapter 7, Solomon addresses this and says, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Notice his description. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him. She caught him. And kissed him. And with an impudent face said unto him, and goes on, and I won't read it for sake of time here tonight. The pursuit that Solomon was talking about here was that of the woman pursuing. Can I, it's not my message, it's hard to preach without pastoring since that's what my heart is. Um, can I challenge every single young lady and middle-aged single lady and any other age single lady, if you've got to pursue him, he's not worth the pursuit. And if you are known as a pursuer, then I would question if perhaps you... Oh. (laughs) I would question if perhaps you fit into Solomon's description here that I've just read. She is loud and stubborn. She is... Her feet don't stay where she belongs. She's, She's on the prowl, if you will. So you can't, you can't override God's wiring and it, and it work. You can't override the way God wired something and there be purity. Part of the reason that this, I got a really positive message tonight, so just stay with me. I, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to it. Don't get too worried. We'll be alright. You might get mad at me before you love me, but that'll be okay. 
One of the reasons I think a lady becomes a pursuer is because she's got fear and insecurity and she can't just trust God to take care of her and provide for her. Even if that means the provision of a godly man. So, so there is this pursuit. There is a danger in this pursuit for some men when it comes to marriage. Because when you stand at an altar and say, I do, the pursuit is over. You have conquered what you have pursued. And a lot of relationships struggle because the man doesn't make up his mind to keep pursuing the same one. See, men kind of like to conquer and then move on to the next challenge and task. But God intends for us in one relationship to pursue the same person for a lifetime. I also, it's my understanding and I'm learning more and more and really probably the last couple of years more than the first 20 plus years that my wife's desire to be pursued does not diminish or go away. Because that's how she's wired. So this, this pursuit that we talk about, and again, in the context of humanity, this pursuit oftentimes is a man pursuing a woman, and that's the way God designed it. And then when we come to God, we come to our relationship, and I'm preaching Preaching to the church here tonight. When we come, when it comes to our relationship with God, we also are pretty knowledgeable about this pursuit. Except here, here is the thing. And, and again, you know, you, you have to take pretty much any individual message in, in contrast and balance to other messages. If you come to the, if you come to one message, you, you probably will leave thinking, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeless and, I'm, I'm going straight to hell and I might as well just give up. And then if you come hear another message, you may leave thinking, I can just do anything and everything I want and God's going to take care of me. And I said it before we sang the last song there. I'm not, I'm not contradicting or undermining anything that we do and need to do, will do. And, 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 and I'm in the, I'm in the category of whatever it is I may be talking about. But most of the time, the pursuit that we emphasize as Christians is our pursuit of Him. And so we find books like God Chasers. The Pursuit of God. Journey to the Mountain of God. And then we sing Songs like, I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. Or, I'm chasing after you. We've never sung that one in church before. The first one we've sung, and the next one I'm about to mention we've sung, and we may sing them again. This is not an intent tonight to eliminate them from the repertoire of songs at Antioch. This isn't in the same category as Brother Morgan and send it on down. That's not what I'm saying. We sing, I'm chasing after you. And I think we get it in our subconscious that I'm living 
constantly chasing after Him. Or, the more I seek you, the more I find you. And then we, we read and we preach, and I've used some of these I'm about to read, and but we preach things like this, Psalms 42 and 1, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I appear before God? I'm on this pursuit for God. And we need a pursuit for God. Psalm 63 and verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee. In a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. Psalm 143 and verse 6. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Psalm 27 and 4. One thing have I, have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord And to inquire in His temple. Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in Him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. I don't know about you. I won't assume to speak for you, but I can tell you tonight, I think I've lived a long time subconsciously that this is a one-sided pursuit. I am constantly trying to hunger and thirst and seek after more of Him. And we need to. I'm going to stop adding my, my claw, my, um, yeah, those things. I got a hunger for you. I got a thirst for you. I got to seek for you. I got to chase after you. And it sort of gets to the point that I feel like I'm always chasing and never catching. I'm always pursuing Him. and I I may be wrong, but I think that's the mentality a lot of us have. The problem is, I think that also stirs up some thoughts and feelings and perceptions about Him. That really are probably not accurate. Actually, there's no probably to it. They aren't accurate. I'm pursuing you, God. I'm chasing you, God. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to search for you. I know he said, when you seek for me with all of your heart, he'll, he'll find, you'll find me. I know, I know that. 
I'm afraid we've missed some pretty important things about the other side of this. In fact, hopefully the Holy Ghost will get it across tonight. But I think the bottom line is His pursuit of us is way more intense than our pursuit of Him. I, I, I try to be, I, I feel like sometimes I have to go to a new level and <laughs> I try to be transparent. And then sometimes I challenge to realize maybe as transparent as I try to be, there's some areas I don't really want to be transparent in. I've been born and raised in this. I said it Thursday night, I don't know. I probably should ask my dad this, but my mom may remember. But I would imagine within a week or so of being born, I was in my first church service. Been in this all my life. I had a man of God sit and tell me a couple of weeks back, or I guess more so ask me the question, do you really believe God loves you? I don't know what your perception is of me. I don't know what your opinion's impression is of me. Believe it or not, if you want to, but I had to sit there and couldn't really answer that question with an affirmative, yes, I know God loves me. Partly because I'm always trying to chase Him. I'm always trying to chase Him. And I'm always under the impression He's just a step ahead of me because I'm never really going to totally catch Him until I get it all right. There's always a little something going on in my life, in my mind, and in my spirit that... That, that I, if I would just seek Him a little bit more, if I would just, just pray a little bit more, if I would just hunger a little bit more, it probably would really impress Him. And so I've pursued Him as many of you have. My apologies, I guess, to those from the youth advance, but... Hopefully, this won't bore you. I want to give you just a glimpse tonight of that pursuit. I think I've preached from this book of the Bible maybe once because there is a really cool verse in there that after this long poetic description of God, the writer then says... He is all together lovely. And there's a lot of things in this book that you read and it makes you blush, but not everything's exactly that way. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse number 4 says this. He, somebody say he. He brought me. He brought me. 
he brought me. We, we, we say, I came to God. I found God. No, no. He brought me to the banqueting house. He brought me. I, I don't care what it was that got you here the first time. And those of you that may be here tonight... For the first time. I don't know. I I don't really care what your natural explanation is. I'm going to tell you tonight. He brought you. Because no man comes except he draws you. We don't get here on our own. We don't get here strictly through our own desires and efforts and wishes and wants. But we come because he draws us. And Solomon said, he brought me to the banqueting house. I I want you to notice where he brought me. Didn't bring me to the shed. With belt in hand. To straighten me out. He brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner. His banner. Well, if I was preaching Sunday morning to sinners, a bunch of y'all be shouting and dancing right now, helping me out. His banner over me is not condemnation. Not accusation. It's not displeasure. It's not disappointment. It's not anger. His banner over me is love. Was love. You put that second verse to that song back up there if you would. His banner. Over me was love. A lot of times I look up and what I think is up there is a lot different than what Solomon's saying. I don't see the banner. We are His portion. He is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in His eyes. Oh, help me tonight, Jesus. By the grace. Can I ask you tonight? I, I, I can't get into all how personal all of this that I'm preaching to you tonight is. I, I can't get into all of that. So let, let me just ask you. How many of you, what do you look into his eyes and see? Do, do I need to let you go home and beat the storm? Are we okay? What is it when you, when you, when you imagine? I know we can't physically, literally, but when you imagine looking into his eyes, what do you see? What does his forehead look like when you look into his eyes? Is it twisted up in a scowl looking back at you? I know there's nobody here tonight that that's like that. Drawn to redemption by the grace in His eyes. Thank you. By the grace, He brought me to the banqueting house and His banner over me was love. It wasn't storm clouds and a hurricane that was moving in. It wasn't tornado clouds that was about to destroy my life. But His banner over me was love. 
The covering that I am under is love. The covering that I have been under is love. The covering that my life is under is love. The shadow that I am under, if you will, is God's love. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's not an ominous shadow that means danger and threat to me, but that shadow, that banner is God's love. Realize my experience getting to this is a lot different than most of you because I, I was, I, I got the Holy Ghost and was baptized when I was seven years old. I, I'm sorry, but unless you're just some really freak of nature, you don't have a big load of sin to get rid of at seven. You don't have a lot of baggage that you've carried to get rid of at seven. I mean, stealing cookies from the cookie jar, a couple of lies here and there. I mean, you, you, you don't have a lot. I realize a lot of you, when you came to God or when God brought you to Him, you came with an amazing load, an incredible load of sin and shame and baggage from the past. It always kind of, it kind of amazes me how when we came to God, we had faith enough the first time to trust in His love that even though we had done nothing to be worthy or deserve the greatest gift that could ever be given to us. Somebody said, all you gotta do is repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and receive the Holy Ghost. And most of you knew at that moment you were not worthy, but that's what somebody said and so by faith you responded and for many of you in just a few moments you began to speak in that heavenly language some of you had never heard it before that very day but you responded by faith because he loves me and he'll forgive me and he'll wash away my sins and make me clean but then we become professional Christians Somewhere along the way, it starts to become about our performance. And even though I got the Holy Ghost by faith and trusting in His love and forgiveness, there's somewhere it switches. And now I think I've got to earn it by my works and my behavior. So we pursue Him. I think we pursue Him more often than not because we're kind of afraid He won't pursue us. So if I'm ever going to get him, i got to do it all myself. Solomon said, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Skipping down to verse number 8, he says this, The voice of my beloved. The voice of my beloved. My wife called me Thursday afternoon. Just a few moments into the conversation, she just said, I just needed to hear your voice. (laughs) Well, I can help you with that. (laughs) I'll even press past my... Aversion to talking, if hearing my voice. He said, the voice of 
my beloved. This, this is this, just in case you missed it. These next few verses here is what I was referring to with all that theological stuff. Okay, so I'm not going to jump back and forth between the bride and sons and all that. We I don't have time for that. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh. Leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. I'm afraid that a lot of times our perception that if God is coming for us, towards us, there is a scowl, it's heavy steps, and he's on his way. Fee, fi, fo, fum. It's impending danger. I'm in trouble now. But the writer says, I hear the voice of my beloved. And he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. I, I, God, I, I don't want to diminish or, or distract from, from the message, but when, when I first heard that and read that recently, I, I, I sort of, I'm like, you know... First image I get is just this guy skipping and like that. Ah, I, I can't quite <laughs> floating along. And then I got this of all places. <laughs> I sort of got this image that worked for me a little better. I don't know if any of you ever watched any of the show American Ninja Warriors. The first stage oftentimes of the, of the uh, first level of American Ninja Warriors, and it's not about ninjas and black suits or whatever. It's a f- physical fitness kind of a challenge. There, there's, these, there's these platforms that you have to jump to, and, and, and you're jumping over water. I've seen some guys do that. They weren't, they weren't ballerinas, ba- whatever you call the guy, just... So I, I, for all you guys, it, this is not some, you know, limp-wristed, hopping along kind of a pursuit. But, but I think what he's saying is, he's coming toward me. But the way that he's coming is exhibiting anticipation and excitement for getting to me. What he's trying to say is, he's not on his way with it, with, with the spanking stick or his belt ready or, or, a, or a club ready to beat me down for, for, for what I've done and who I am. But he's on his way to me. He's pursuing me with an excitement and an anticipation to get to me. Oh, help me tonight, Jesus. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says this, He standeth after having, bound, after having bounded over the intervening space like a roe. He often stands near when our unbelief hides him from us. When our unbelief, when our unbelief hides Him from us. 
Lord Jesus. When our unbelief hides Him from us. The writer is saying in those moments that perhaps you think He's nowhere around. Actually, He's really close by. But He's not making Himself known because He's just kind of standing there with a gaze of of love and, and approval rather than disapproval told this before and I'll tell it tonight in the context of this message but I remember during one of the manifest meetings it may have actually still been called meet at the time not that that really matters but it was in the old sanctuary gymatorium and I had been standing on the on the back balcony for those of you that remember all of that I was on the back balcony and and I was actually I I, I there are a few things I can do like my dad and I can take you to the spot do it as much as he can, but there are a few things. And and I was standing up off, if you're facing the back of the sanctuary, I was standing up to the side uh, to where right near the exit door, and I was holding Timothy, who was only just a couple of months old. And, and, and I, don't, I wasn't even consciously aware of what I had been doing until after, later on that evening, my dad said something to me, and, and he stopped me, and he said, you know, he said, son, you, you, you know the way you were standing there holding Timothy and looking at him tonight, and the feelings that you felt? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's the same way I feel about you. Just, just standing there holding, gazing. I, I, I don't know that I can ever remember a specific moment, but I know there were some times, Brother Whaley, where I would just stand over that crib quietly and just look. Just stare in awe and amazement, overwhelmed by a feeling of love for something that has done nothing but take from me to this point. And yet, and yet, the feelings that were inherent to me as a father, where did I get it from? According to Solomon, I've, I've gotten it from the one who has stood many times gazing at me. Oh, Jesus. I know I'm too touchy. I know this isn't normally my style of preaching. I know that. No, no more uncomfortable for you than it is for me. So, gazing, looking. He said, first it was through the wall and then the window and then through the lattice, just not, not perhaps even aware that he was so near. Commentary says, oftentimes it's in my moments of unbelief, my uncertainty of where you are. I, I, Brother Libby, I first heard say this, and I've, I've used it. I told him I preached it and gave him credit for it, so I'll give him credit for it again tonight. But we often talk about, God, where are you? The question is, how can God move? How does something that fills all space, how does something that fills all space ever move? Where can He go? I guess you don't have to respond. I, that'd probably make me feel better, but 
guess I haven't preached in a while. My, my, my security and my preaching is lacking a little bit, so I may have to fish a little bit, you know, to get me through. You don't have, you don't have to respond, but anybody been there and maybe even there, God, where? Where are you, God? Where are you, God? You said you would never leave me and you would never forsake me and you would always be there and I can't seem to find you. I wish from now on when you ask that question, you would go to Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 9 and read that he standeth behind our wall and he looketh forth at the windows showing himself through the lattice gazing at me because he's right there. Verse 10, my beloved spake. That's the part where some of us get worried. What's it going to say? What am I going to hear? I brace myself for another rebuke. I I don't want to belittle anything by this this analogy, so please, if I don't want to hurt or offend anybody, but... But I've never knowingly, I've never physically abused my kids. But uh, I I, I have, you know, I I like to kind of poke at the ribs and tickle and whatever. And there have been a few times, and I think more so it seems to me like with Nathaniel. He just has this sign on his back all the time that says, pick on me, Dad. So, unfortunately for him, he rides in the car. Usually, if it's just the two of us, I'm constantly agitating and aggravating him. And every now and then, he, he kind of maxes out and, 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 and kind of in a little more volume than regular tone of voice asks me to stop. And so, I respect that for about five seconds. And <laughs> it just kind of, something just kind of eggs me on. And <laughs> so, I, 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 he keeps getting in the front seat, though. So, I don't know. Uh, that there are times that as a result of my poking and tickling that I go to raise my hand and I've watched watched him get ready to defend and I realize unfortunately there's probably some tonight that you relate to that but you relate to that in a more painful way or in a painful way because the hand that you went to resist was not just going to poke you in the rib to tickle you a little bit. It was going to be a, a hand of punishment, a hand of abuse. Don't, don't, don't pretend on me tonight. And I'm afraid that too many times when we imagine the hand of the Heavenly Father, there is that bracing. Not realizing that really what's coming is a reach of love and compassion. My beloved spake and he said to me, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. There's no rebuke, there's no chastisement, there's no putting down. It's an invitation. Come with me. I want you to come with me. I want us just to kind of walk together and I want us just to kind of spend some time together. I'm not going to, I'm not going to analyze you. I'm not going to critique you. I'm not, 
I'm not going to fix you. If you've been at any of the, or we, let me rephrase that. There's been numerous times, especially in young marriage activities, we've talked about this and men tend to be fixers and, 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 and oftentimes in the communication between a husband and a wife, the wife starts expressing some things and the husband automatically goes into fix-it mode and trying to figure out how he need, can fix it. And there's a lot of times in 24, almost 24 years of marriage, and I'm still really learning this one. And Actually, I didn't even know until a couple of years ago that I wasn't supposed to always try to fix. So thank God she put up with me long enough to start a, even start learning that sometimes she doesn't want me to fix. She just wants me to listen think sometimes we're afraid that all God's going to do is just want to fix rather than trusting that you know what there's sometimes he knows I just need to talk and he's just going to listen when he when I get through talking he's not going to love me any less I, I, I've had a book for years that sat in my office and I don't think I, I'm not sure I ever really read it and Someone recently mentioned uh, to, to my wife and I, we ought to read it. And I started rereading it, if I read it, which I don't remember if I read it. So it shows how much good it had if I read it. But, but it was a preacher and he was talking about his world falling apart and in ministry and reaching the point. And, and, and he, 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 uh, he, he was told in the book, I was riding down the road and I just cried out to God and and, 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 and he showed in the book that he didn't give the words, but he did those little symbols that let you know. And it didn't take much imagination to know what he said to God. I'm not telling you to do that by any means. I'm not approving that, but the bottom line is he lived to tell about it. I think some of us are afraid. Of, why are we so afraid to tell God something that we've already thought? Well, I'm never going to tell you that, God. I'm just going to think it because, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You kind of know every thought. <laughs> Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Why? Because the winter is past. The rain is over. And gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of the birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land, and to clarify that, the New Living Translation says that verse, because if you're like me, the first time I read that, I'm like, I never knew a turtle could be heard with a voice. The flowers are springing up, the season of singing birds has come, and the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. Are you getting? I know I said at the beginning, I'm going to remind you. I know some of you guys are like, tune me out. Let's go home and let's, let's watch an action adventure movie. Come on, Brother Rye, forget this romance stuff. But, but do you get the at the environment? Do you get the atmosphere that he's describing that he's inviting you to? 
I'm not inviting you to the desert in the wilderness. I'm not inviting you to some desolate place. But but the winter is past and the rain is over. Look, the, the flowers are appearing. The time of the singing of birds is here. That is where He is inviting to. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. There, there's, there's some new things happening. There's some, there's some new beginning. There's some new life. That's what I am asking, inviting you to. It's a fresh start. There's some, there's some new things that are happening. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, thou art in the cleft of the rocks and the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. It, it sort of implies there a hiding, sort of the cleft of the rock, a place of trying to find some protection. But he comes along, not with stern, harsh voice, but kindly and gently to draw out, to let down the walls, break down the barriers, and trust that when I do that, I'm not about to get smashed and hammered. When I, when I get out of my place of security that I built and my place of protection from Him that I've constructed, it's it's not going to be a wagging finger in my face trying to straighten me out, but He's drawing me lovingly. Let me see your face. God, I want to I wanna see you, God. I want to know you, God. I'm hungry for you. I'm desperate for you. And How many of us really realize there's a part of God saying, I want to see your face. You you think it's all about you seeing me and hungering after me, but but there's a whole other side to this. I am as equally, if not in, in a more intense way, interested in seeing your face. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines for our vines of tender grapes. My beloved is mine and I am his. My beloved is mine and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. He, he, he's in a place of beauty, in a place of a wonderful fragrance and aroma. That's what he's drawing me into. Why? Because his banner, his banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. His intentions toward me are good. His desire for me is good. Preach to some people tonight that have erected some walls to protect yourself. But God is still peering over the walls as a loving father or as the writer of Solomon has described as a 
as a lover with a longing for you, for me. Oh, how He loves. Oh, how He loves. I wonder if sometimes we walk around wearing the badge of how much I love God. I love God so much. And, and it's true, I'm not saying it's not, but yet... The other side is just as important. Yeah, I love Him. The bottom line is, no matter how much I love Him, the love that's in return is way, 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 way beyond my love. far exceeds the greatest depths that I could dig my love out for him to there's no comparison to the depths of his love for me I want to be a good soldier I want to fight the fight of faith I want to do like Paul said, and I want to stand. And I want to stand strong. I want to prove that I got it. I got to tell you, there's a bunch of other times that I just need to know that I'm being drawn. I'm being wooed, if you will. There's a tug and there's a pull from him towards me. And that the banner was, is, and will be love. You don't have to try to undo a bunch of stuff because the banner, the banner is not judgment. The banner is love. Banner is not anger, the banner is love. It's kind of like the father with a child that's, I don't know, trying to hit a golf ball. Little child standing there with the golf club and the golf ball, and he swings and doesn't come anywhere close to doing it. No father in his right mind would stand and scold that child for his mistake. But what a good father does is he comes up behind with love, gentleness, tenderness, and puts his hands on the hands of the child. And we do it together. You know, you know, that's, 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 that's what the heavenly father is like. Some of us are trying so hard to just prove we can do it and afraid of the potential disappointment that's going to come and the scowl that's going to come from him 
not realizing that really all he's wanting to do is just link up, join his hands to our hands, and and thus do it together. I'm really not trying to say this to to, to fish for a response. I, I don't know if I've just flat out missed it tonight or if I'm just too close to home and some of you aren't willing to just kind of let down your guard. I, since I'm this far into it and there's no trap door to get out of here, I might as well just finish it. And <laughs> I'm, I'm preaching to some men tonight that have lacked the ability to learn to just accept the Father's love. Still working hard to earn and deserve what not only he's willingly already given, but continues to do and continues to to draw, to call. He is jealous for me. I wish somebody would just... You're not comfortable saying it out loud, but I wish somebody would just think those words right now. He, he is jealous for me. Brother Wright, that's not possible because of X, Y, and Z. Brother Wright, there's no way because I've done this and that and I knew better. You mean to tell me that younger son didn't know better? Than to ask for, I mean, I can't imagine as a father if 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 one of my kids came to me and said, you know, hey, hey, dad, I, I know, you know, one day when you die, you're you're, you're going to leave me something, which they've got a lot to change between now and then if that's going to happen, because <laughs> I'm 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 using it all up on the way. And <laughs> can, can you imagine if a child came and listen, hey, hey. Hey, Dad, I, I know that when you die, you're going to give me something. But listen, I'd like to go ahead and get that now. I, I, I never understood how that father didn't beat that boy out of the house. He was obviously a grown man, but we all know dads can always take their sons, so. Pretty amazing the father willingly gave. I got a feeling there's a good chance. I got a feeling there's a good chance the father knew. I am throwing this money down the drain. He is not mature enough. He is not prepared to handle what I'm about to give. But apparently there was no fight and there was no argument and the father simply went ahead and divided up what belonged, what was going to be his eventually. He walks out of the house and he goes and he wastes it all. And and apparently the father knew what was going to happen because he's sitting there waiting for him to come home. Waiting. How in the world do you sit there when you've 
worked your whole life for something and now you willingly give it and, and, and then it's just wasted and yet he's sitting there waiting patiently for the, for the son to return. And, and you know, I know you know the story, but forgive me for just repeating it anyway. But that son, like most of us, that's probably how most of us come to church. Most of us probably do just like that son did. And we, we ride to church with our speech. We ride to church making up what we're going to say because I know I've blown it this week. And so I, I'm just going to, if I can get close enough to him, which I'm not really sure I will, but if I can get close enough to him, I'm going to let him know I don't really expect you to give me anything tonight. Just, just, just let me be here and just don't, you know, just don't kill me. Just let me be a servant. Father sits and waits till that day. He sees him coming. The Bible says when he sees him afar off, he starts running, running. Now you tell me if that son was preparing in his mind that speech, what do you think he was thinking when that father was running? Oh my God, he's not even going to let me back in the house. I'm not even going to, it's, it's, this is, this is bad. This is bad. Ah, this is really bad. He's coming after me and I know he's, I know why he's coming after me. I know why he's coming after me. The Bible says he gets to him and embraces him. He doesn't even, doesn't even want to hear the spiel. Doesn't even want to hear the spiel. He doesn't even want to hear the, the explanation and the, he doesn't even want to hear the apology. He doesn't even care about it. He's not interested in an explanation of why. And some of you want to tell him why. And you want to, you want to tell him all the reasons why you failed and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and would you, I'm sorry, all of you children, I shouldn't say this, so I apologize. Listen to your parents. But would you just shut up and listen to him instead of trying to get him to listen to you? But, 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 but you, but, but, no, just be quiet. Would you let a loving father, would you let a heavenly father who is pursuing you with love and compassion and mercy wrap his arms around you, not caring about all the baggage, but ready to embrace with mercy and grace and restoration. Oh, how he loves. Oh, how he loves. Oh, somebody please take a cart down right now. Some of you sitting, you all you can hear in your mind is your natural father. All you can hear is your earthly father and the disappointment and the accusations and all of that. But would you please just tune all of that out right now? And would you open your ear to a heavenly father that is probably not even saying anything? Actually, all he's trying to do is reach out and embrace and demonstrate.
demonstrate I love you. Oh, how? I, I, I think I'm done preaching. I think I'm done preaching. Oh, how? Oh, how? I'm, I, I think I'm done. I'm trying to be done. Maybe Sister Trish come play and then maybe I really will quit. But I'm not preaching to new converts tonight. Only, only. Maybe I am. And, and, and if you're a guest, this message applies to you. But, but I, I really, I've come to preach to some veterans tonight. Come to preach to some veterans tonight that this has become about your pursuit of Him and you're going after Him and you forgot the fact that He comes after you. Full of love and compassion and passion, He comes for you. Oh, how He loves. Oh, how. Heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would, please. Can somebody, can I invite somebody right now to let down the guard in the wall? Somebody let it down tonight for a, for a lover that's peering in through the window of your life. Not with a look of disgust and disappointment. With a look of love, with a look of favor name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, God, I pray you help somebody in this sanctuary right now to get the same picture of you that the writer of Solomon, Song of Solomon had in the verses we've read. Pray God that right now you'd give somebody that image, that that revelation of you in the same way that Solomon was describing. To see and then to accept the embrace that's being offered. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He's not disappointed in us. Not frustrated with us. Not angry with us. Not simply waiting to punish us. But oh, oh, how He loves. Oh, how deeply. The best I can do, I can never grasp the depth of how much He loves me. As hard as I can work to try to comprehend it, I can never come anywhere close to grasping the depth of how much He loves me. Oh, how. Oh, how He loves. In spite of what my circumstances say, oh, how He loves. 
in spite of what the circumstances of my life are trying to tell me. Oh, how he loves. My sickness, the pain in my body is not about his love. Oh, how he loves. The trouble that's going on in my world right now is it's not about his love. Oh, how he loves. problems I'm facing the difficulties that I'm dealing with in my life is is not the indicator of his love oh oh how he loves the troubles in my home the situations in my family is not an indicator of his love oh oh how he loves I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. I realize just, just how, beautiful how beautiful you are. are. And how great your affections are for me. Come on. The Holy Ghost is trying to take somebody to a new level tonight. Come on, the Holy Ghost is trying to take somebody to a new level. I, I, I just kind of feel like some of you are sitting there saying, Brother Ryan, I, I've dealt with all this already. I've worked through all this before. I'm good. I don't need this. But, but I'm telling you tonight, He's trying to draw you into a new place. Not a new place of consecration. Not a new place of dedication. Not a new place of commitment. But a new place of a revelation of all how He loves me. I know there's times I'm drawn to deeper consecration. I know there's times I'm drawn to deeper commitment. But that's not what tonight is. Tonight is not about a deeper commitment. Tonight is not about deeper consecration. But tonight is about a deeper experience of the depth of His love. Not for the sinner. But for me as the saint, for me as the believer, for me as his child.
let's go tonight and just receive how much he loves.
observe.